Welcome to the Swamp Meadow Community Theater Podcast, episode number four. I'm your host, Andy Affleck. The Three Musketeers opened last weekend and has been well-received. There are only three shows left this weekend, and it's well worth your time to come out and see it. I sat down this week with Preston Arnold, who plays Atos in the play, to talk about his character and his process as an actor for constructing a character. So we've, we've now finished three, uh, three uh, performances. I'm sorry? Halfway through. Halfway through. We're halfway through. We've completed three shows. Um, and we have three to go, and, and I think I think usually the the latter three are always the best three. I think in many ways, I've had time to practice a little more, gotten the feel for what the audience is like. Yeah. So tell us about Athos or Athos. How do you Athos? Athos. We're going as strictly as we can with a, a French accent, even though it's a Belgian giving us the advice on how to <laughs> pronounce everything. <laughs> but we're trying to be as as true to that, even though we're not playing it. In accent, we're trying to make French names sound correct. So, yes, Athos. Athos is the eldest of the Musketeers, and he is by far the most serious and has the most troubled past. And don't want to give things away for those who are going to actually come see the play, but he has secrets in his past that come into the play that have a great effect on how the how the play runs and what the actual plot is. So a lot of the dynamics and surprises come from Atus's troubled history. He does seem to be the most complex of the three. I think Porthos is brash and boisterous and... Well, pretty much that in, in many ways, and, and Aramis is pious and holy, and, and yet not really. And <laughs> Maybe the most gallant, you could say. <laughs> but it, it does seem that Athos has... But certainly Athos yeah. has the most history. He has the most serious outlook on life, um, and he uh, has complications. When you are given a role like this, how do you... How do you start building the character? How do you layer it together or, or, or conceive of it? I mean, where do you begin and, and what's your process? First thing is to read the play itself. Read the text that has been presented, in this case, by our own homegrown author, uh, adapting from the original. But read the script several times just to know exactly what is happening, what the actual lines are, what the actual action will be during the show. And then... Uh, in a something like this, where it is based on an actual classic piece of literature, uh, I actually got into that. On the advice of the script author, I read not only The Three Musketeers, but also 20 Years After, which is the sequel that not many people are familiar with. I didn't even know it existed. There is a, a 20 Years After that follows the adventures of the same four people 20 years down the road, where Athos actually has a grown son, and D'Artagnan has been now a captain of the Musketeers. Ah, uh, Portos has gone off to be rich in the country, and Aramis has gone into to be a monk. What, do they come back out of retirement? They come back out of retirement because of issues that flow in part from the first book. Huh. A new cardinal has taken power, but there are still things that are 
running around from Milady's influence, and it all starts happening again. Not not at all in the same way, but that gives a greater feel for the characters. Uh, you can understand what they're doing in the first book a little better if you see what they become in later maturity. So I, I researched that stuff, and also the period to see what things were actually like in the in the setting of the play, and how people reacted, how you can prepare yourself, not only mentally, but as you can see, if you were videoing this, <laughs> physically, and that I've been growing out my 17th century mustache for the past three and a half months to make sure it got to the right place by the time we hit showtime. I, I wouldn't know anything about doing stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that for for myself, and, and, and you know, I have far less experience than you do in these matters, but I have often found that for me, one of the things that always cements it for me, for me, finding the voice is one of the most important pieces, and if I don't, if I don't find the voice, it, it disturbs me greatly in, until I mm -hmm. finally get, what does this person sound like? Right. But often, the trigger that gets me to the voice is the costume. I find that the first time I put on even a part of the costume, it's like, oh, Oh, there he is. Okay. And and it makes me feel more in the part. I mean, do you feel that, that way? Or is I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, we've been really lucky with the show to have such a, a great costumer who has gotten into the details of how it really, to an extent, a combination of how it really was with what the iconography of it is. Because it's not exactly historically accurate, but it is certainly accurate to the general time period and to the image that people have. But it does make a, a huge difference when you start playing with the outfits. It, it gives you a different carriage, uh, puts you in a different mindset. And as you were saying, the specific voice, how these people would speak, being more formal than what we were used to today, being slightly more articulate and more romantic in everyday language than what we would be used to today, that helps put you into the mindset as well. And then when you put on the tunic and wear the sword and walk around rehearsals with the sword on your hip all the time. Uh, it, it does give you a better feel and lets you sink deeper into the character. And like I said, you actually you start walking differently. You start holding yourself differently. You start sitting differently. And all that helps build the image that you want to portray to the audience. So hopefully when they walk in, they're not seeing a bunch of people they know from the neighborhood up there on stage spouting lines, but different people from a different time. I definitely get that impression. I, and it, it, what's inter interesting to me is is to see to see these transformations. I, I've seen you in a number of things. I'm used to seeing you transform. Sometimes what's really interesting about a, a period piece that is very firmly set in another time, in another period, in another culture, is it allows people to really get out of themselves to play the role whereas if you're playing something that's 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 not that removed something that is more contemporary something that is closer to what your real life is uh, it may be that much more difficult for some to make a distinction yep. and at that point unfortunately they are just playing a spouting lines up on stage instead of in daily life but this is so unique, so different from what any of us have experienced in our real lives that 
it forces you to change, and that actually can can pull stuff out of people that they didn't necessarily know they had. The Three Musketeers has just three more shows before heading off into the sunset. You should reserve your tickets now at our online box office at www.swampmeadow.org or by calling the box office at 1-888-493-7110. Performances are Friday, May 9th and Saturday, May 10th at 7 p.m. and Sunday, May 11th at 2 p.m. In other news, the summer children's play this year is the much-loved Annie Jr. directed by Bob Hollis. Roles are available for children and youth ages 6 to 16. Audition pieces will be placed online at the Swamp Meadow website soon. Please make note of the special requirements for specific roles. Auditions will be May 30th from 5 to 8 p.m. and May 31st from 9 to 3 p.m. at the Eddy Building, 6 South Killingly Road, Foster, Rhode Island. Swamp Meadow's holiday production is A Christmas Story. Roles are available for 19 plus extras for children, teens, and five adults. And children are allowed to audition for both Annie and A Christmas Story as their rehearsals do not overlap. Audition scripts, roles available list along with the complete production information will be available online at Swamp Meadow shortly. Auditions will be held on June 7th and 8th, Saturday and Sunday, from 1230 to 3.30 p.m. at the North Foster Baptist Church, East Killingley Road, Foster, Rhode Island. Getting back to your, your comment about the costumes, that I was very impressed. It seems like these are cut above the, uh, the the costumes we normally tend to see. I mean, were a lot of these... I'm gathering a lot of these weren't pulled from the barn, but a lot of these... A lot of these were not pulled from... Uh, a lot of pieces were pulled from the barn. But certainly the, the key pieces of apparel that really make this... French that make it 17th century that make it musketeers were made the the tabards tunics that with the French cross on them um, a lot of people were able to bring things that they had gathered as far as accoutrements of boots and uh, the trappings of the weaponry that helped the costumes build the costumes uh, obviously lucky to have somebody who who had weapons and some of the, those accoutrements so we could be realistic warriors while we're up there on stage. I'm noticing that a lot of things that I think are hysterical in the script, some very obvious laugh lines in the script, are not getting picked up as much by the audience. Do you think it's because people think that this is a drama and that it has to be treated as such and that there's no humor there or is it because the humor is so 17th century that it takes a minute to process what what's happening it's all of those things not everybody quite understands what makes for a funny situation in in a setting that's so different from what they're used to the play goes back and forth though there's so there is so much in it that's very serious that's dramatic that is sad Mm -hmm. that's tragic that uh, sometimes audiences get confused and they're not sure. And with should, most, I, should I laugh here? Should I laugh here? Is, is exactly. It's okay to laugh here, or is, or is that going to Am I going to be embarrassed if I laugh? Most here? audiences, if they're not sure, their tendency is to err on the side of being quiet, being t- sitting back a bit. Uh, that's why it's so wonderful to have a 
a shill in the audience who knows the show and is willing to laugh and clap at the right places. Well, because, that, that's also up, up in the sound booth, exactly. you know. You know, Eric and I are laughing and, and you know, sort of in, in a way to doing it a little bit louder than we might normally, just right. to let the audience know it's okay to laugh here, you know. And that's exactly what it is. It's giving the permission to the audience. Yes, you're allowed to enjoy yourself. You don't have to just absorb. You can actually give some feedback. And that's what makes it so wonderful when they do because that's what makes a show so, so different from even the best rehearsal is the energy that comes back from the audience. It changes so many things and it, it changes your timing. It changes your energy. It You see where some of the dramatic or funny lines are that you might not have realized before and so as soon as the audience comes in everything changes and the more energetic the audience is the more they give themselves permission to enjoy and express it the more it builds that back and forth between the the cast and the audience some weeks back i got to interview meg and tom about the the choreography and, 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 you know, Meg from how she choreographs things and Tom from... Tom actually it was especially interesting because he talked about the uh, the difficulties in being a fencer and having to stifle all of his natural <laughs> instincts when he sees an opening because the person he's with made a mistake in this choreography. And he's like, oh, this is where I attack. No, wait, I can't do that. I and believe he actually did that in the matinee. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That, and that adds a, a whole other dimension to the show that's so much fun. We were lucky to have two people who really understood what sword fighting was about one meg being primarily from the standpoint of stage fighting and then tom with his more specific expertise in how fencing actually worked but that it's it's always neat when you get to do a show that has stage fighting in it because you learn so much and it become it is a choreography and how much did you have to practice your your sword fights well preferably Every time that we got together, mm-hmm. people who were in fights together would take a couple minutes when they when they had time to go run through the the choreography because it really is choreography. Um, I mean, I, the I, goal I, is to make it not look like choreography while keeping it very very strictly what it's supposed to have been. I mean, I, I think back to the sword fight you and I had in, <laughs> in, in getting married back in two thousand ten, I believe it was, and. That you know, I I think we ran through that probably a good thirty times. Oh, easily. In in you know every time every you know we got a, we got a down moment. Let's quickly run through it. Even if we don't have the swords, we'll just you know go through the motions or whatever you know, using the the number system or what have you. But, um, and that was a incredibly simple sword fight. I mean, it was you know mm-hmm. over in thirty seconds. But what you guys are doing, you know, we have some more complicated you, you, stuff. You get some more heavy, and it's faster. It's a lot faster. Notice the pace is, is faster. The um. It really has the feeling of reality to it. It looks like there's actual fighting happening as opposed to, oh, look, they choreographed this. Well, thank you. Um, But that is the point. The more, the better rehearsed a fight is, the less it's going to look fake. Because the more we went over those specific moves and made sure that each partner was comfortable with what the other one was going to do and knew what to expect and knew what was coming, the faster we could get the more we could act while we were doing it, the more you can grunt and yell and, and react to what's supposed to be happening. The more automatic the movements are, the realer it actually ends up looking. Realer. Realer. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for listening. If you have any ideas for upcoming shows, especially in the quiet weeks between the close of The Three Musketeers and the start of the Summer Children's Show, let me have them. Send email to me at andy at andyaffleck.com. 